Welcome to episode 14 of Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. I'm Jeff Brownson. And I'm Derek Dye. And together we're drinking our way through this amazing world, one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Our guest today is Kim Tate from Stuff Suitcase. Kim is an industry expert in family travel, and through her website, podcast, and social media channels, she helps make travel easier for families all over the world. We talk about how Kim got into travel writing, some of the projects she currently has going, and even got a peek into her favorite destinations, both in the U.S. and abroad. Before we get to that interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you won't miss anything we have coming down the line. And now, let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Kim Tate. Welcome, everyone, to a great conversation we're going to have today. I've got Derek with me, as always. How you doing, Derek? I'm good. How you doing today? I am doing wonderful, and we have a fantastic guest who is much more pleasant and cheery than us, and that is Kim Tate from Stuffed Suitcase. So welcome to the show, Kim. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's been a while since we've chatted, I think a couple of years since we've actually seen each other, but it's always a good conversation when we remember to reconnect. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that that happened and we could get you here on the show. Yeah, I love how our travel, you know, how when you're in this industry, you kind of meet these people and they come in and out of your life. But every time you see them, it's kind of exciting to keep chatting and reconnect and figure out what's new. Yeah, absolutely. So you're out on the West Coast and Derek and I are on the East Coast. So you're not actually going to join us for our our happy hour drinking podcast recording because we're doing this kind of early in the day for you. I I wanted to. I almost considered it. Well, typically, so I know this is a beer podcast, but I'll start with what I honestly would be drinking if it was a normal happy hour, and that's a red wine. But if I was in the beer mood, if it was a hot day or something like that, I would either have a fruity wheat of some sort or a dry cider, semi-sweet dry cider. With the red wine, are you a a sweet wine or a dry wine, or you want it to kind of suck your face in? Yeah, definitely a dry, robust wine. I like the Shirazes and things like that. So I, I like there to be flavor and depth to it. But yeah, it keeps me from drinking too much. Some table wines, I feel like you can suck back if there's not a lot of punch to them. So that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> yeah, they're like Kool-Aid. It's Yeah, exactly. It, it, can be, it, it can be a problem with some of these sour beers that are almost like a, a candy here drinking them too. Yeah, definitely. I know there's, I mean, as funny as it sounds, I actually like stouts as well. And sometimes some of the stouts that are like coffee or chocolatey, I'm kind of like, oh, it's just kind of like having dessert or or a drink of coffee. So you can kind of suck it back fast and lose Yeah, but those can be kind of heavy. So. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It sounds ridiculous, but they certainly go down easily. Kim, I have a saying for those. Uh, I always let my wife know after I try it and I enjoy it, I say that is poundable. And she knows when I say poundable, that's... While it's good, it's also bad, and I should be limited to one. Yes, I know that feeling well. <laughs> That's when they serve them. They they actually have limits written on the menu. You know you've you know you've hit a good one there. <laughs> Normally, it's alcohol content on that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, anything that you have to get in a smaller glass is usually pretty good. 
So Derek, what have you got going today? So today I'm drinking a Lot 6, which is the double IPA from Evolution Craft Brewing in Salisbury, Maryland, uh, just west of Ocean City. Excellent. So you're pulling in all sorts of local beers for these podcast recordings. I'm going a little bit farther away today uh, with one of the beers that I got for my hoppy class for Church Keys Beer Academy, which if you've been following us on social, you've seen a, a bunch of content coming out around that class that I did. But this is The Way Things Were from Marlowe Artisanal Ales. And they are located in, I looked earlier and I've already forgotten, but I'm pretty sure it's Connecticut. Yes, North Haven, Connecticut. And the reason I'm drinking this is someone saw my story on the, the 12 beers that we got for this class and pulled this one out out of maybe two seconds of video. I did a quick shot, a 360 of the can art, and they were like, that's a gorgeous label. So I pulled it out of the fridge and I thought, well, yeah, it really is a pretty label. And then I looked on the can and it told me who who did the can art. So the art is by Kat Manning, who I connected with on Instagram a little bit earlier today. And I said, Hey, I'm going to give you a quick shout out on the podcast, but she's doing some art and social content for some of the breweries there in Connecticut. So that's what I'm drinking today. It is a American pale ale and it's quite tasty. Sounds awesome. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm, I'm actually, you guys would hate this. I'm not an IPA drinker. I do not enjoy IPAs at all. My husband loves them and he would love for me to get behind them, but nope. That's okay. Um, that's more for us. Right, yeah. Jen? I'm leaving plenty. <laughs> I'm leaving plenty so you guys and my husband can enjoy them. You know, no, no keg will go dry with me for an IPA. <laughs> Derek will definitely be happy to pick up whatever ones you're not going to yeah. drink. Well, when he said double IPA, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. He's one of those guys. <laughs> so funny story. I, I love all beer, but especially IPAs. So we went with our really good friends for a New Year's Eve dinner, uh, probably five years ago. And we were going around the table, you know, being cheesy and asking for our uh, New Year's resolutions. And I stunned the table by saying, my New Year's resolution is to not drink a single IPA next year. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? And I'm like, only doubles. <laughs> nice. Good clarification. Yes. So I love IPAs. I love double IPAs. I love triple IPAs. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I I tend to prefer doubles over singles, but you know, that's splitting hairs. And that's the lawyer and Derek getting around the wording there. <laughs> I've been known to do that once or twice in my life. <laughs> All right, here, so oh, sorry. I was just going to quickly say you'll have to, Derek, if you ever come to the West Coast, my husband's favorite IPA out here is um, called Bodhi Zaffa. Have you heard of Bodhi Zaffa? Yes, I actually have a couple in my fridge right oh, now. Oh, there you go. Okay, yep. that's mm -hmm. his favorite. So, love it. So we've got the connections in beer all the way across the country <laughs> already. Good start to the episode. But now let's get into a, a little bit of your background, Kim. Um, we will save a little more beer talk or drinking talk till the end of the episode, but get into the travel side of things, which is really where you excel. But let's start, let's go way back, uh, tell the listeners where you grew up and kind of how you got started in, in the travel game. Well, I grew up, you would, I would never guess that I was going to be in the travel game because I grew up in Kansas City in the Midwest, go Chiefs. Uh, hopefully that won't come back to bite me saying that. You know, when this, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but anyway, so I grew up in Kansas City, did not travel beyond, you know, like softball tournaments. I think I was pretty, pretty excited if we went to Oklahoma or Nebraska for a softball tournament. So other than that, it was pretty much just 
life at home. So it wasn't until I actually went away for my first year of college to Baylor that I kind of got the idea that I could travel on my own and it was kind of fun and I could go see friends and I could go back and visit family. And then once I got married right out of college, I told my husband, I was like, okay, this travel thing is going to be something I want to do. And so he and I started taking about two trips a year where we would normally do like a May and then September, October trip. And that was how it all got started. So I always wanted to travel. It was just not in the cards with my family uh, life to be able to travel. So it took getting out on my own to make that a reality. That's kind of similar to me. I didn't, we did a lot of road trips and we would drive out. We had relatives in Nebraska. So we would make the drive from New York to Nebraska and down to Florida and places like that. So I did travel a little bit, but I was on a plane. They tell me I was on a plane when I was about six months old out to Denver to visit my mom's college roommate. But obviously, I don't remember that. And then my (laughs) next one was when I was a senior in high school. So not not a lot of flying growing up for me. In fact, not much at all. I think my one airplane trip was in like the summer before my fourth or fifth grade. My mom took me out to visit family who lived in Southern California and we went to Disneyland and then we stayed at their house and I just played in their yard and stuff um, right in SoCal and then the one big Disneyland. And then we went to SeaWorld, I think, once. So that was kind of my one big family vacation that I can remember as a child. And I definitely will be picking your mind a little bit um, for spring break this year. We're going to do a little bit of a road trip and we'll be heading out and we actually fly home from Kansas City. That's the last stop on our oh, trip. Nice. So. I was going to give a hint for people when they were, you know, since it is a beers beer pro- podcast, I was thinking that I could say Boulevard and see if anybody could guess where I was going to be from. So I thought that would be a good hint, but I just went out with the Chiefs. So we'll go with that. I've been to Boulevard Brewing. It's a re- they've got a really good space for tastings. Uh, we were there four years ago, I think. And I definitely recognize the name, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you where they were. Yeah, you'll have to when you're in Kansas City. You'll have to check it all out. It that city has grown like it's grown up so much. I can't wait to go back and just kind of be a tourist there because every time I've gone back, it's always to visit family, and I don't get to spend them a lot of time kind of checking everything out. But what they've done with a lot of, I think there's a big brewery scene there and their power and light district is supposed to be really cool. So. Well, I'm excited to see it. And I think at least most of my family is, I don't know. (laughs) And my wife and I are, (laughs) hopefully the kids will be by the time we get there too. It'll be really good. They have a great museum, a um, a jazz museum and Negro baseball league museum. That's amazing. So it's really great in the downtown area. And that's right up our alley. We'll definitely take a look at those. So speaking of traveling with my kids, traveling with your kids, you have similarly aged kids to me. When did you start traveling with them? You mentioned you would take a couple of trips a year with your husband. Did you when when you had kids, did you just go full in and start traveling right away or did you take a little time off because it was scary? We went full in and started traveling right away. So we I actually did an international trip with my mom and I would say so my oldest, she was about to and I was pregnant at the time and we went to England, which I'd already been there with my husband. So for me, it was kind of an easy trip, but I remember managing, it was kind of funny. So we jumped right in visiting family. We'd fly to Kansas city and visit family. And then we'd fly my husband's from Edmonton, um, Canada. So when they were babies, we were taking road trips and flying with them, but this was our first big international trip with the kids. And I remember fighting with a little stroller. It was just like an umbrella one for Elizabeth. Um, 
even on like the subways and stuff, it was just the tube was kind of a lot to handle. And then I remember doing another international trip with them. I believe that, yeah, Mia was probably one to two and Lizzie was, you know, four and the car rental and all the gear with two little kids and like car seats and strollers. I was like, this is the last international trip for a while. So that was when we really started staying close to home. We started going to Disneyland a lot in California because it was just kind of nearby and easy. So we did a lot of West Coast stuff then. And after that sort of domestic break, how long did that last? And when did you start expanding your travels with the kids? Well, we started, I mean, I would say we kept doing domestic stuff quite a bit. And then international would be basically, like we've said, Canada. And I'm trying to think. And then we we kind of got into cruising because my husband's family would, there was this one week in November where we had a few days off and they would get the whole week off right around Veterans Day. And so we would start meeting up in Florida and taking a cruise together. And we discovered like as multi-generational or extended family vacations, cruising worked really well. So that's about what it was then. That was kind of how we were choosing to spend our time. My husband was still um, hindered by vacation hours. And then we do do public school. So for a while we would take the kids out and do some trips, but that w- we started limiting that quite a bit. And were you always a writer or did you kind of transition into that as you started to travel more? What, where, what's the background professionally before you got into what we'll talk about in a little bit, which is stuff suitcase, which is this amazing travel <laughs> conglomeration that you've created. But what did you do before that? Or was that always it for you? That was not always it. I, I still struggle to even call myself a writer. I don't think I'm a writer. I actually, my degree is human biology and I pre-med. So I'd planned to go to medical school. That's the whole reason I ended up from Kansas City out to Seattle is I wanted to go to UW Medical School. And we figured also it was close to my husband's family in Edmonton. It was kind of a happy medium. And then I ended up applying to medical school my first year. They didn't like that I only applied to UW because the average applicant applies to like 10 schools. And we ended up finding out we were pregnant. And I decided, do I really want to spend the next like eight years of my life working 80 hours a week and not seeing this kid grow up? And so I kind of realized, no, that's not actually what I want in my life anymore. And so I became a mom, which is kind of weird to think about, but I always had a very entrepreneurial spirit. So I would say that's that's where my history is. So I'm actually biology, not a writer. I hated English. I would try and avoid it at all costs. And now I'm I find right there, Yeah. So, but I, when we had our girls, people would come to me all the time because we were doing these trips and we would have friends and family that would ask me like, well, how are you traveling? And how do you get these deals on this? Or, you know, how did you plan or where did you stay for this? And I would have friends that would ask me these questions all the time. And my husband is a computer guy. And he said, you know, there's this thing called blogging and you should share all your tips there. And so that's kind of a little bit of the backstory. But yeah, no, I was never a blogger or a writer and I never thought I would end up where I am. I didn't travel as a kid. I mean, where my life has evolved is completely different than what I saw myself as. I didn't think I would be a mom, you know, working at home. So when did that first blog post go live? When did people first start reading about your (laughs) travel tips and adventures? So that was May, 2012 was when I did that. I actually, it's kind of funny. It feels so distant from my life now, but I had been working part-time at our church as the children's ministry leader. So I would like lead VBS and the weekly um, children's programming. And 
it kind of was a funny thing that I was doing beforehand, just kind of busy work, I guess, in a way. That sounds bad. But um, yeah, so then I decided I'm going to make this podcast thing. I'd come up with these other ideas. I was always trying to have my own business. So I have a very, like I said, entrepreneurial mindset and I love coming up with ideas. And so finally, when I decided to start blogging, that was May of 2012. And then by 2013, I quit my part-time job and was like, yeah, I need to focus on this. I want to make it a career. I was reading, I read every beginning blogging book you could um, think of to try and make it a career. So I went into it with my eyes wide open that I want to make money off of this, which is different than a lot of people. They do it just as a hobby of they want to share. And that was not me. I I did it definitely for a business. So, (laughs) And I think you went the right way with that because I started writing probably a similar time frame, give or take a year on one side or the other. And I went into it with <laughs> no plan whatsoever. It was more a, we, I'm going to write some stuff and let's see. And I enjoyed kind of putting the site together and had that for a little while. And then I joined a blogging network and then I left that network and then I wrote a little bit and then I left it all and went and worked at the patent office for a few years. So your consistency and actually having a plan when you started, I think worked out a lot better for excelling in the space than mine did. It's there's so many options. I mean, people don't realize how much work it is. And then all these extra things you could focus on, you know, I know a lot of people have gotten down the freelance route where, you know, they freelance for outlets and other sites, but I can make more money keeping that content on my own site. So in some ways, it's struggle, it's a struggle to want to give information to other sites (laughs) instead of just keeping it for myself. So but there are a lot of options that people test out. It's it, it's clear from the very beginning that you're more intelligent than both Jeff and I, because like Jeff, I just jumped right in when I decided I wanted to start a blog and a Facebook group. And I got a domain and started writing in about two weeks and had zero clue what I was doing. So uh, you came in with a plan and a goal, and uh, that's a lot more than I can say for myself. And it sounds like Jeff's in my boat. So kudos to you for having a plan before you... Uh, began. And she actually educated herself too, which is again (laughs) better than I think either of us did. I don't know. I read some stuff online. I don't even think I did that. (laughs) We could take some Enneagrams tests probably and see why we all, why we all all started this adventure our own ways, right? Because I'm definitely a type one. Like I like things planned out. I like to organize it. I go with like what I see instead of what I feel. (laughs) I'm not sure what type I am, but it's significantly um, less organized than that (laughs) and a little crazy. So tell us a little bit about, we've hinted at your site, uh, Stuffed Suitcase, and you've talked about how that kind of came to be, but what is it? What do you do there? Why does it exist? Since you planned for it, you, you actually executed a plan, and I'm sure it's changed over the years, but what was the goal in that and, and what do you do there today? Yeah. So like I said, I started it and the goal kind of was what my husband did. Like all these people are asking for your advice. Why don't you share that? I always had, like I've already hinted at, I had that planner mentality. Like I liked planning trips and I'll never forget. I tell this story a lot that our first trip to Disneyland, I actually had um, like planned every ride we would go. And when we would like, I had this time schedule and 
by half through halfway through the day, my husband and both my daughters had kind of revolted and were having fits. And they were just, I had been running around like, no, we have to go here now. We have, you know, so one of the girls would see something like, oh, I want to ride that. And I'd be like, nope, it's not on our agenda yet. <laughs> so I had to, <laughs> yeah. You should definitely <laughs> talk to my wife about that because she planned a family trip with her whole family and it actually included in the itinerary bathroom breaks because they yeah. were the nicest bathrooms. And someone, one of, I think maybe her sister was like, I have to use the bathroom. And she was like, nope, not yet. <laughs> we need to ride two more rides. And then there's a nice bathroom there. And her sister was like, no, I need no. to go. Yeah, now. exactly. Yeah. I learned fast. Like, like I said, it was halfway through the day and I finally got the wake up call. Like, yeah, this isn't really a vacation, but all that planning is what I'm trying to say is, um, kind of, uh, what led me into wanting to put all this in a format that would help other parents, because it is a lot of work and I think people get overwhelmed. And if you can learn some of these little shortcuts or easier things or, you know, like make it easier to plan the trip, then you might actually enjoy the trip more. So that's where Stuff Suitcase comes that I thought I could make all these tips and articles that people would want to read. One of my big um, focuses was Pinterest. When I was going into it, I've always had a visual aspect. I used Pinterest myself. So I thought with this blog, I'm going to get on Pinterest. And so as I'm writing and making stuff, so I kind of think that way of, you know, Pinterest as primarily women, but there's definitely, you know, men on there as well. But wanting to give tips and advice for kind of mainstream travel that would just make it easier. And as I had young kids at the time, it make it easier for families to, one, figure out where they want to go and to give them tips that would make it either, you know, more fun, more, um, you know, affordable, stuff like that. So you have uh, a few different sections of the site now. You've you started out doing these travel tips, which can be super helpful for families, um, especially the first time you're traveling as a family to see someone who's done this and almost to get that confidence that it is possible to travel with young children and possible to get through the airport with two strollers and a car seat and a this and a that. So it's kind of gone from just tips then to some of your travels and you actually at this point, different locations and hotels are are bringing you in to showcase what they have, correct? Yes. Yeah. So that's where it's gone is now I get offers to come check out places and write about them and share it with my audience. And the big thing there is figuring out how to look at it through my eyes for my audience. So what would they be into? What are they going to be drawn to? What's going to work for them? And then write kind of these destination guides, which I focus on and give, you know, some of those standard listicle type articles of things to do in XYZ. And again, that's, I always try and add tips of my own experience. So that's one of the big things I think that I try and focus on is I had a friend one time who was like, oh, I read your article about XYZ and I can't even remember it now. And I want to not be embarrassed if I have a good friend come up to me and say, oh, I shared one of your articles with my friend or my friends are wanting to go here. I want to know that if my friend tells me they read something on my site, that it was useful and honest and they're actually going to get their money's worth. And I think that's a really important thing because for so many families traveling, like one of my posts I have is about how much the average vacation cost is for like a family of four. And it's, if you add up, if you're flying somewhere and staying for a week, you can look at spending just over $5,000 for an average vacation. 
And that's why people like Derek and I and you get into these tips and get into using loyalty programs to help us save money and travel because it's just, I mean, that's a number that's just not affordable for a lot of Americans, for a lot of people all over the world to do that even once a year, if not three, four or five times a year, which is, we like to travel more than that at this point. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't, so I, yeah, I think the points is a huge part of it is, you know, if families can figure out how to do that in an easy way, because again, not all of them are going to be churning credit cards, you know, like some of the avid points people are, but there's definitely some smart moves you can make, even if you have two or three credit cards in your wallet that can really help you save on some of those expenses. But again, I, I want to give advice that is, I'm not going to be embarrassed to know that somebody's spending they're one time, you know, they've saved up $5,000. They're going to go on vacation. I want to know that anything they read on my site is, is worth it and is going to make them happy and bring them. Big thing is just create memories with your kids. I mean, Jeff, you know, this where our girls, you know, my oldest is almost out of the house in a year and a half and it's, you've got limited time before they start living their own lives. So I want to make sure that if families are taking trips, that they're creating memories that are, that are good and they're going to be fun. And even on the bad times, you're still going to laugh about it and, you know, figure out how you got through that horrible meal or that, you know, flat tire on the side of who knows where. And we're kind of struggling with a little bit of that running out of time now because it's our, my son just yesterday, I got accepted to his first college and he'll be gone at the end of the summer uh, assuming that they can go in person. So we have maybe one summer vacation and one spring break and we can't really travel anywhere. And so it's yeah. that's something we're struggling and trying to figure out what to do with, the, the, I guess, the end of childhood for our first one. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm looking forward to hopefully my girls once they get through college and we'll be able to continue these mother-daughter trips that I look at, I did with my own mom, you know, a little bit, but it's certainly, you know, a limited window of time that you have for these memories. And I think the big thing is my girls, they still talk about trips we've taken, right? And they still remember them. And so I think that's one of the big things. So that's kind of stuff suitcase. That's the concept behind it is that it should help families plan vacations with ease so that they will actually get out and make memories. And then also tips to help make the vacation, make traveling easier and also make maybe make the vacation a little more affordable or um, more worthwhile. It really is amazing to me, Kim, and I'm sure it's the same for you. The first question I'm always asked as a, as a travel blogger when I talk to someone in person or via email is, number one, how do you do it, right? How do you travel so much? And then typically the second question is, are you rich? You know, because <laughs> yes. it, it seems like the average person connects traveling with money. And it's so good to see sites like yours that really show families how to save money because you you typically deal with two people that are asking you those questions ones that are already traveling but wish they could travel more for more family memories or those that unfortunately can't travel at all because they don't have the the resources to do so and it's just like they're they're looking for answers and money isn't it most of the time mm -hmm. right you just need these tips and tricks to travel for free or travel at a fraction of the cost 
Yeah. I think the comparison game is hard too for a lot of families is just because your, you know, kid is going to school with a kid whose family went to Disney World and stayed at a deluxe resort for a week doesn't mean that needs to be the same experience. And your kids might have fun if you can find an Airbnb on a local lake and just go for a weekend. So there are ways I think the idea is to get out of your bubble a little bit. And that's one of the big things that I've noticed that's been important for me is for my kids to see that you know, because we all get into that where your your life of what you experience is not what everyone else in the world or even the United States experiences. And so having that, you know, ability to step away a little bit helps everyone in the family relax a little more, figure out something new about themselves, see something different. And I think that's huge. So even if it's a weekend away, you know, somewhere four, four or five hours away that you can drive to, I think that's an important step to take. And I think that's true with any travel for kids growing up and really travel for adults too, is you learn things and you learn things about other cultures and you learn things about other people and you, some of these misconceptions that you may have uh, about people who are different than you, uh, quickly, very quickly go away. And I, I love the fact that I've been able to do that with my kids is take them to a variety of places all over the world and see people who have a lot more money than us and people who have a lot less money than us and realize that no matter where someone is in life, physically, financially, mentally, it's still fun to play tag on the playground. Yeah. And it, it really helps kind of get a better picture of the world and that people really are deep down all the same. It's a great eye opener when you can go around and see things that are different and that you maybe had these misconceptions and realize that our world is really filled with a lot of people just like you and me and just living a different way of their life. And then, like you said, I mean, some people have it way harder and it makes you appreciate your life so much more. I think that's a great point that, you know, on many levels, travel is the great equalizer. The more we get out of our own bubble and see uh, places, especially in, you know, quote unquote, scary parts of the world, we realize just like where we're from and where we're comfortable, there's great humans there no matter where you go. So like you say, yeah, it might be scary and you may be afraid and wonder wonder about your safety, but just like you, there are other humans living there day to day and enjoying their lives. So uh, I think going out and traveling and seeing that's a great reminder that we are all are all human and we have more in common than we have that separate us. So we talked about Stuff Suitcase, which is kind of your main site and where you do a lot of your writing and produce a lot of your content. But you also have been podcasting for quite some time now. Tell us a little bit about what that show is and what you do there. Yeah, so we have a podcast called Vacation Mavens. And it's kind of a funny story about how it got started. We actually are coming up on five years. March will be five years for us. And we, <laughs> it was so funny, we were at a travel conference. So my friend Tamara and I, Tamara has a blog called We Three Travel. We're both, we both have teens that are 16. And we were on a, at a travel conference and ended up in a kayak together at kind of a pre-conference tour. They call them fans, but it was a pre-conference little tour. And we were in Fort Lauderdale kayaking around these I don't know, canals, that's probably what they are. And we just started talking about how we both liked podcasts. We we had just been listening to him. She'd been listening to podcasts a lot longer than I had, but I had newly gotten into podcasts. And we were talking about how there wasn't really a family travel podcast per se. There were Disney podcasts and there was, you know, a few travel podcasts that were more 
destination specific. And we thought, well, I've always when I said to her, I, I think it'd be cool to start a podcast, but I wouldn't want to do it on my own. It's a lot of work. And she's like, oh, yeah, I could see that. And so she thought, I'll think on it. And you know, I'll keep it in mind because I was like, we could start a podcast together. And then sure enough, we ended up meeting at another conference like two months later. And she said, I've been thinking a lot about that. And I think we should do it. So we're like, okay. So hence, we started Vacation Mavens. And it's it's great. We love it. It's like I said, we're two moms of teenagers. And we with COVID, of course, we do biweekly now, but it used to be that we would publish every Tuesday and we normally would take off about one week a month because of we would be traveling and just coordinating schedules was so difficult. But yeah, we kind of interview a lot of it as friends that we've met that are also travel writers of you know, varying expertise. And we focus on destinations with a little bit of a emphasis on what's there to do for families or hotels for families, things like that. And then we also mix in tips that are just useful. Like recently, we've been doing some things. Uh, some are published, but some are coming out soon that are about saving money on travel, you know, how how to fly for cheaper, how to get hotels for cheaper, how to save for vacations. So anyway, so we have a variety of destinations and tips. So you've been doing that, you said, five years? March will be five years, yeah. That's a whole lot more episodes than we've done. <laughs> it's it's amazing to think. I mean, we, like I said, we've had sometimes where you know, we take off, you know, a couple weeks in the summer and at the end of the year and stuff. But yeah, pretty consistently, we've been there for five years. And is that, have you grown quite a following with that? I assume it has to be fairly successful for you to be continuing to do it five years later, or is it just a creative outlet? Is it, is there a, a cult vacation mavens <laughs> following out there that get excited and like cheer if they run into you at a hotel and that kind of thing? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, I haven't had any, you know, fan moments in person yet, but we do have a lot. The nice thing about podcasting is I feel like our audience, they know more about us than just if they ended up on our blog, especially like I said, I have a lot of Pinterest traffic. And so they're just following whatever pin they saw about, you know, the best places to eat in Fort Lauderdale. I don't have that blog post. But anyways, that's they're just following whatever they find, right? And then they read through it. But they're not really linked to me and my story as much unless I bring them in and we can get all that's a whole nother marketing level of things. But with podcasting, they hear your voice. Tamara and I are best friends, actually. So this whole journey, we're each other's best friends. And so it's like us talking to each other and they've gotten to know us and we talk about our family with each other. And so we'll get emails that they'll send us emails and notes that show that they're really, they really know us. Like they know our husband's names or they'll, you know, know that her husband's scared of heights and they know my daughter's got a nut allergy. And so there's these little nuances that they pick up because they've gotten used to us. And so we finally have had it's no, it no longer costs us money to run the podcast, so we'll call that successful. Uh, but the true, <laughs> yeah, so we'll the get there true, someday, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So we we finally have you know actually seen some green. But the the I think the focus for us is just that it's another outlet that desti other people that work with us destinations and partnerships that we do get occasionally want um, that out that additional outlet sets you apart. So that's one aspect for it. But also just our audience are so much more connected to us that it it's nice to have that outlet when you don't always get it from the reading aspect. Yeah, you kind of almost feel like you have a, a family of travel friends. 
Yeah, I think so. And you just feel like people care about what you're going to say. I mean, when we're when we take off weeks or, you know, when we were taking off some time between when COVID was first getting in and people were so excited when we came back with our first episode and they're like, we're so I was so excited to see a new episode end up in my I mean, they're they're just so tied to you. And it's such a part. I mean, you guys know this with podcasting. It's such a part of your life that wherever you listen to podcasts, you you're checking that, you know, your latest feed and it's exciting to see some of your favorite ones land there. And so I I think that's good. And that makes us feel good. And we have some good, good reviews and things. And I think we're truly like our whole goal is the same way. I mean, we're helping families give them ideas on where to go and, you know, ways to do it easier and so the secret to success is that Derek and I need to actually like each other. Is that <laughs> yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. I'm that in. would help if, you know. I'm out. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> you guys could, you should, should just drink more. Maybe you should just drink more. Then you'll be each other's best buds. Isn't that the way it normally works? We but like each other. three or yeah. four, you love yeah. everyone. We like each other the last 15 minutes of each season. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As long as Derek's got at least a double IPA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You make a good point, though, about your listeners and this relationship you're creating. Having done this with Jeff for two months and hearing some feedback from some, especially from people in my Facebook group and that follow my blog, it's amazing in just two weeks how they, they've been telling me they've already learned things about me they didn't know before. I've got to imagine after listening to you for five years, you have some listeners that almost feel like they are a part of your family and your and travel with you and things because... They've been listening to you, you know, 50 weeks a year for five years. Yeah, I like to think that way. I think it's kind of cool. And I think that travel is one of those things that can all bring us together. And it's such a neat topic that we, there's so much variety in travel. And yet somehow, if you talk to someone who likes to travel or even dreams of traveling, there's a way you can all find something to talk about. And I think that's cool. And so I do think that when you, when you get it, hooked into a podcast or someone that you really connect with about something about travel, it can be a good relationship. So let's touch on just this one last thing that I noticed on your site when I was looking over it. Uh, as After you agreed to be a guest, I thought, you know, I, I better refresh myself and make sure I, <laughs> I know all about Kim. Um, because like I said, we hadn't talked in quite a while. But you have a, a thing up there called the Wanderlist book, which was super intriguing to me and looked crazy useful. So tell us about that and what what made you make that and why is it an amazing reference for people? So again, I'm a planner. And <laughs> if I haven't gotten that across yet, I started making a lot of times um, one of my popular posts, a couple of my popular posts were like packing lists. And then I have a post that is really old and needs to be updated. But it was one of my ones that it seemed like people really commented, it resonated with them. But we started teaching our girls to pack when they were in grade school, like really young. And I haven't packed suitcases for them in forever. And so I wrote this article about, you know, how to teach your kids to pack and what I did behind that. And so I just, I was always making these lists and things that kind of would help people or help our family pack easier. And so I decided to create a book that was basically a planning toolkit for someone who wanted to plan a vacation and needed to keep track of things and didn't quite know how to plan things. And so I put together a lot of my tips and a lot of checklists and informations into a book called Wanderlist. And I published it myself. And it's for sale on my site. And although I will say the new 
I just got a new website design, so I have to work on that sales page a little bit. But it's it's tailored to help someone plan a vacation from, you know, how far out to do your planning, comparing airlines and airfare to logging all your hotel reservations. And then, of course, outfit planning and itinerary planning and things like that, along with all the checklists are kind of almost like blog posts, but little tidbit chapters about things to consider for um, your vacation planning. So it's kind of like the um, too long didn't read for your whole site. (laughs) You just summed everything up so people can get that and and start traveling. And then while they're traveling, they can listen to your podcast and they can start reading your site by the pool and that kind of thing. It's just like kickstart the vacation for someone who wants to travel now and have all the lists right there. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I thought it was pretty. And that's the biggest thing for me, like as a female, it looks really nice. And I like, so if you get it, the print one from me, it's spiral bound. So you can flip over a page and make notes and jot stuff. And the idea is that it's portable enough. You can stick it in your purse and bring it on vacation with you. So when you show up to the hotel, you've got your confirmation number logged there. If you show up for that, you know, you're trying to figure out, oh, where were we going to eat? You've got that logged, you know, all of these little tidbits are all written down that you can bring. And then I also have an ebook version, which is a little trickier, but you can bring in like a notability app or good notes and you can make all your notes in it on like an iPad or probably not your phone as easily because they're pretty small screen, but your iPad or tablet. So I wanted to go back to one thing you mentioned about in your book, outfit planning. (laughs) Is that supposed to be something that's more than throwing as much as you can find in 15 minutes in a suitcase and hoping it's clean because that's my go-to packing method. I, I bet you haven't packed kit for kids or, you know, no. like multiple. Yeah. No. <laughs> so the outfit planning kind of goes back to, of course, as a female myself, I, I consider what the activity is for the day. You know, what shoes do I need for that? And then where are we eating in the evening? Are we doing anything different? Do I need to have an outfit change there? And then it started, like I said, with that kids, teach your kids to pack. One of the big things I did for my girls was printed off these sheets for each day and what the activity with the day was. So they would know like, oh, we're headed to the beach. You know, this is what, okay, what am I going to wear at the beach? I need a swimsuit. I need, you know, that sort of stuff where, oh, we're going to go to, you know, we're going to go to a museum. And so then they think about what they would want to wear in a museum. And so that's the concept of kind of that outfit planning is to really think about what you're doing each day. And I think if you're more of a spontaneous traveler that you just wake up when you want to wake up and you put on some clothes and head out for the day and see where the day takes you, then you can still, the idea is you have to know how many days are you going to be there. And I'm team carry on all the way. So I actually, my oldest, yeah, team carry on all the way. However, uh, I do have a 16 year old daughter who is convinced that team check is the only way to go. And it's really, it's really hurting me. I trained her so well, young in life, and now it's ruined. <laughs> My son likes to check bags so that he can bring, uh, he has a very hard time walking around anywhere without a knife in his pocket. So he <laughs> likes to be able to bring that. Uh, he likes to bring some tools with him wherever we go. He actually, when we were in Mexico, there was a problem with the shower. And rather than write to the Airbnb guy, he took apart the faucet and fixed it because he had brought some screwdrivers and stuff with him. So he's a big fan of checking bags as well. Going back to your needing lists, especially for kids, it reminds me of a time we went several years ago to New York City at Christmas time. And so cold, <laughs> snow on the ground, yep. 
And my older son wears shorts pretty much through the winter here. To get him in a pair of pants is an argument every single time. So we had told him he needed to bring pants and he brought a pair of gray sweatpants was the only thing he brought. So we get to we're getting ready to go to the Broadway show that we had bought tickets for. And we're like, put on your pants. And he pulls out gray sweatpants. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, that's not pants. You know, we're going to a show. You know, we're going to New York City. We'll probably go to a fancy restaurant. And no, gray sweatpants. Yeah, I have a similar. So we went to Keystone for a ski trip. I guess it's been two years now. And we one of the days we didn't go skiing and we were going tubing on up on the hill. So you you still get up and you're on the hill to go tubing. And my youngest, I'm like, well, put on your boots. And she hadn't packed boots. She had ski boots, but so she wore um, vans. And so there's these, and by the end of the, the, you know, tubing rental, her feet were like ice and she was so cold. And I'm like, well, why didn't you bring boots? (laughs) So even those of us that are planners, we still fail. <laughs> so on a separate New York City trip, we often go up for Christmas to see the Christmas sites. Both my wife and that same son only brought um, Converse shoes and nothing to walk in slush. And yeah, nothing slush. To... Especially on all those corners, you know, waiting across. There's so much walking there. You Yeah. Brutal. So we bought a couple <laughs> of pairs of uh, boots when we were in New York that time. Nice. Well, at least you have memories now. We bought a lot of stuff, but also what that taught us is maybe this is the wrong lesson that I've learned, but you don't need to pack that carefully because you can probably buy whatever you need when you get there. That is one of the travel a little more expensive though. Yeah, it is one of the perks. And I think with a lot of, you know, when you travel with young, young kids, that's something to consider when you think about, you know, especially diapers and things like that, that if they have kids there, they probably have diapers for sale at a pharmacy or a grocery market somewhere nearby. Yeah, the only time that becomes a problem is if you're on a long flight and you didn't put enough diapers in the carry-on. And we've had that problem. You have to go try and make friends with someone else who has a baby on the plane. (laughs) I'm thinking back to my trip two weeks ago when I packed to go to the Caribbean and go sailing for a week. And I realized the morning of, after moving a few months ago, that I had no idea where flip-flops, sunglasses, or a rash guard was. So our first stop in the Caribbean was, you know, uh, paying triple or quadruple what the normal price should be for all of those items. And I'll probably never use any of them ever again. I played that game in uh, Australia a couple of years ago, and I was trying to buy sunglasses, which you can't just do there. You have to go to a pharmacy to get them. They're not available in regular stores and they're absolute junk. I bought one pair and it was like 20 Australian dollars (laughs) and I bought them. We were waiting for a bus. I ran in, I bought them. I walked out, I opened them up to put them on my face and they snapped in half. And I was like, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. But then the bus got there. So I couldn't even go and get my money back because the You're bus like only came like them. once an hour. And so I just got on the bus and I was like, <laughs> but I tried, I, I probably spent uh, 80 or a hundred dollars on sunglasses on that trip in Australia because I had forgotten mine and I just kept breaking pairs of sunglasses. I don't know if I'm much stronger than the normal sunglasses wearing person is there. I don't know. You remember earlier on this podcast, Jeff, when I said I already knew that Kim was more intelligent than both you and I, (laughs) not only is she more intelligent, she's more organized and we immediately (laughs) need her packing list because you and I are bad news. It just keeps coming up, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Packing lists are good. They save a lot of people. 
So Kim, that's a little bit about your professional background and where people can find you. Let's get to the fun stuff about travel. Tell us a little bit about your travel style over recent years before COVID. Um, do you, uh, how much do you travel per year? Do you, do you do any solo trips? You mentioned, uh, travel with friends. Tell us about how your trips go, how many you take a year, what you do. Well, right before COVID, when everything was looking good, I would travel about once a month um, with some, it might be like two during one, you know, two trips during one month. And a lot of those were either, you know, solo, I would say, but they were part of a group, maybe a group tourists like fam trip or with friends. And my, like I said, my podcast partner, Tamara and I, we try to get away you know, at least two or three times a year to see each other and take a trip together. And then I would have trips with my kids that were just family trips or camp, you know, campaign trips that were with either both kids or one kid. So it was a mix, but I would say about once a month was kind of where, where I was at. And does your husband ever get to come or is he stuck at home all the time? <laughs> he gets to come occasionally, but it's actually funny because we just had this big epiphany. Um, well, it's not too much of an epi- epiphany, but I've been ignoring the signs for a while now. But since we've been stuck at home at COVID, you know, he was saying how much he's enjoyed not traveling and that he's he was able to take vacation. He took a week vacation, just didn't do anything and stayed around the house, which is a complete waste of a vacation in my opinion. But um, he, we've realized that, yeah, he really, he likes being at home and traveling for him. And his big thing is if he travels, he wants to, so there's a, there's a good part and a bad part to my job because if I'm traveling somewhere, I want to make sure I get a lot of content. So I want to check out a lot of different things to do or places to be. And his, thing to travel is he wants to sleep in late, have no real plan for the day, maybe go do one thing and then come back and relax and hang out on his, you know, computer or phone. And so he just has a very laid back, relaxed. That's a vacation to him. Whereas maybe he should come travel with Derek and I. Yeah. We could go to a bunch of breweries. We could relax. We could show up and maybe not have pants, you know. Yeah. That's, that's probably his ideal vacation right there. So yeah, no, but so it's just kind of funny because we do take take trips and I've tried to be from my learnings from that very first Disneyland trip, I've tried to be more mindful and I try to at least if it's a week long vacation, I normally do at least one day in the middle that I plan nothing. It's just going to be we'll sleep in, wake up and figure out where the day leads us. And so I've tried to get better to meet his his travel style a little bit like that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it is nice to relax. I like those kind of vacations. I, an all-inclusive resort, I have no issue with that. And your, your trips pre-COVID, do you skew towards luxury? Do you skew towards frugal? Do you do a nice mix? What do you do? Not frugal, I would say. Um, I am kind of a little stuck up in that, but I also, again, married to my husband. (laughs) He hates the dudes that meet us at the car and want or belt the bellhops when they want to unload your luggage and take it to your room for you. He thinks like that's the biggest waste of money because he doesn't want to tip them because he can take his own luggage. And meanwhile, I'm embarrassed because you just let them take your luggage and you don't look like the trashy people that are unloading your, you know, 18 bags yourself. <laughs> so um, it's an interesting thing. So I would say luxury in the fact that more four star, I don't want to have, you know, a butler waiting on me and that sort of 
you know, luxury, if that makes oh, that's sense. That's pretty nice though. My kids loved that. And I think See? it was Kuala Lumpur when we got taken up to the suite and the butler <laughs> was like, and I can draw you a bath or I can yeah, I if you want hot cocoa, just let me know and we'll bring that in. And my it was I, I don't know what time we got in there. It was maybe 1030 at night we checked in and my younger son, Cole, was like, oh, we're getting hot cocoa. <laughs> sure enough, as soon as we unpacked, we stayed up super late. They got hot cocoa. They were super happy. Nice. My girls would be all over that. We They've gotten spoiled. So sometimes we'll... Um, when you're hosted at places, sometimes they give you nice sweets and things like that. And so they're so spoiled because now they walk into a normal hotel room and they're like, oh, is this, is this where we're staying? Is this it? Like, stop being so stuck up. You know, <laughs> you've been spoiled way too much. Yes. This is a hotel room. This is what most people pay 250 a night for, you know? So it's been a learning curve. My kids got very spoiled with doing a couple of uh, promo Disney trips and we got to go yeah. down for in at Disney World. We got to go to the opening of uh, Pandora and the opening of Toy Story. And I, you were there for I was the, with you at Toy, Toy Story. Story yeah. 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 Um, but then like it's very hard to go to Disney after that if you don't. Have, you're ruined. The magic yeah. fast passes. We'll just say that they're magic fast the early passes. access. You don't get a hotel room full of all the souvenirs. And yeah. Yeah. I'll never that. Yeah, that those Pandora, you know, the early access stuff and the yeah, that, those are nice little perks that we get. But it ruins your kids because they don't know what waiting in a line for two hours for a ride that lasts, you know, 90 seconds really is. Yeah. When we went to Disneyland a year or two ago, well, I guess it's two. nothing happened last year. I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of I, years wait, ago. I traveled. I took three trips between January and March 1st. <laughs> I did. I did two in January and two in February. So I got to beat yep. by one. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we would prior to pandemic, we went to Disneyland and my wife was back in her element and super excited because she's like, OK, we have to do this ride and then this ride and then this ride. <laughs> and, we, and we were waiting to go in and it was our first time seeing the, the Star Wars section. And she's like, oh, no, yeah. we're not going to go to that first. We're going to get in, get in the virtual queue for the rides. And then we're going to go see these other areas. And as we're there waiting for a rope drop. <laughs> myself i think i was probably the worst of the three of us but the boys also were just like well we really want to see star wars maybe we should see star wars can we go see star wars and finally by the time we rope dropped we went straight there and it was oh, nice it was awesome we got there before most people because we were of course right at the front because we show up an hour and a half early before the park opens so that we can yeah. be touching the rope and yep it's it, we have to maximize the fun but we got on both rides and got through all that stuff. And then we walked back and kind of casually walked through it in the evening once it got dark again. And it was lovely. But it was not the plan. Not the plan. Good for you. Did she about have a heart attack? <laughs> she, she was none too pleased with me. Yeah, I I feel for your wife. <laughs> I know that. I know that that struggle. Yeah, she's the plan maker. I'm the plan breaker. It's it's an endless struggle. I was like, it sounds like a lovely marriage. <laughs> we all need balance. <laughs> yes. I mean, we travel very well together. It's exactly. wonderful. I don't, when I travel on myself, I'm like, man, how does she find all this stuff? How does she do this? Now, when I travel, when I travel with uh, Chrissy, I don't do anything other than book the transit. I book, I mean, oh, I book right. the lodging, the hotels. Uh, which is the same thing as lodging. I was so, like, hmm, do you do lodges and hotels? <laughs> yes, yes, we do both. So I book that. I book the airfare. I book any major ferries or trains or anything like that. 
and she books and plans everything on the ground. And I don't, it's, it's lovely. I don't That's awesome. know anything about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't, she'll ask me for input sometimes, but it's like, we get there and I wake up and she's like, and this is what we're doing today. And I'm like, wee, and things are surprises and it's, it's great. It's like being a kid again, but then I go to travel by myself and I'm like, but I want all these surprises for me too. And I have to do that myself. And that's harder. Well, that's a good way of doing it. Paul inevitably were on the trip and something's happening. And he's like, well, why did you choose this? Or, well, why are we doing this? Or why didn't we do this instead? And I'm like, okay, if you wanted to be involved in the planning, you could have brought all this up while I was planning. But now we're here. This is where we're at. Roll with it. (laughs) We already have this ferry ticket. We have this bus ticket. We have to get on it. We're throwing (laughs) money away. I'm like, okay, yeah, that looks like a great restaurant. I already made a reservation at this one. Sorry, I didn't know that you would want to go to that one. So has, I I guess we have to talk about COVID and the pandemic and all that not so good stuff, but that's affected, obviously, I would assume your business and your life and you're not traveling once a month at this point. Have you done any traveling at all since the pandemic hit? We did one local, so we're in Washington State, and so we did a local road trip in August of last year when things were looking better. So we actually went to Olympic National Park and Mount Rainier, which um, was awesome because we never explore our own state much. We're always venturing other places. And so that was the first time that we'd ever actually been to either of those two national parks. And um, so yeah, that was it. (laughs) That is all we have done. And you're right, it's definitely affected my business quite a bit. Thankfully, um, I'm I've rolled with a few things and my income is not our primary, you know, support vehicle for our household. So thank, thank goodness for that. But yeah, it's definitely hit a lot of our industry pretty bad. Now there I've seen some people are starting to travel in Washington state. We have travel restrictions. We're still, you know, no non-essential travel. And if you do travel out of state for an essential reason, you're supposed to self-quarantine when you return. So we've just been staying at home. We did a massive backyard renovation. (laughs) So that was kind of a nice little project and yeah, just purging the house. The girls are moving bedrooms. So yeah, we're just staying at home. I'm trying to hope that we'll come back soon and that more shots get into arms. I was hoping spring break, we might have a bit of a return, but now that is obviously not going to happen. So now I'm just hoping and praying that we have summer travel season. Where did you go in the Olympic National Park? We were there for three days. So we started up near Port Angeles, of course, we went to Hurricane Ridge and then went over to, um, it's not La Push. So we stayed in Forks, but uh, I'm blanking. Rialto Beach for a sunset, which was awesome. It was so much fun. And then we went down and did like the Tree of Life and all that. And then we went to Lake Quinault and stayed there in a lodge overnight. And then we drove over to Mount Rainier. And we were actually in Mount Rainier. We were planning to be there for two nights, but that one was tricky because where I'd booked us, I hadn't really, you know how you never realize until you're actually in the area. And the, the, trip from like the nearest towns into the park like so even after the gates like into the stuff you want to see is almost an hour and so we decided let's try and just hit as much as we can in one day as opposed to coming back out for an hour and driving back in the next day and going to see the other part of the park we decided to try and just stay you know make the day last longer yeah 
my wife and I went with friends last fall when things were looking up. We went out to Olympic National Park for the first time and I went to Hurricane Ridge and drove out to La Push for the day. What a, oh, yeah. what a wonderful, wonderful place. And it's hard to believe it's so close to Seattle because I felt like in parts, it felt as remote or more remote than most of the parts of Alaska we went to a few years ago. Yeah, it's gorgeous. There's this area you would have passed through it because it's right on that north part between the Hurricane Ridge, like um, Port Angeles out to the coast of, you know, the La Push area. And it's called Crescent Lake. And I don't know if you stopped there at all. That's where we stayed a lot. Yeah, it is. It was oh wonderful. Oh my gosh. It is beautiful. And that area, like when you're leaving Port Angeles and you get kind of further in and you start coming along Crescent Beach or Crescent Lake and, you know, you're driving through those, you feel like you're in the middle of like lush, awesome Pacific Northwest vampires. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's where, uh, so for the people listening that don't know this, Twilight is, was a lot of it was based in based on the concept of Forks, Washington. So it's, it drew a lot of popular people during the twilight phase. I was just waiting for you guys to stop talking about how wonderful the area was. Cause all I could think when you were mentioning those places was, did you see any vampires? Did you see any vampires? Did you see any vampires? So I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. You can't really talk about that area. Now it's getting like less popular, but then Seattle had the whole um, 50 shades thing, which is supposedly like twilight fan fiction. Did you guys know that? No. Yeah, so the Fifty Shades series that there's a big um, hotel called Escala in luxury condos in Seattle, and it was another like kind of basis for the Fifty Shades story. So there was a lot of tourism around that for a while, but yeah, it's fan fiction from the Twilight series, which is kind of weird. Interesting. <laughs> All these weird things about Seattle. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your travel favorites. What are what are some of your favorite domestic trips that you've done? Well, I'll admit that I'm a huge sucker for California. It's probably one of my favorite states. And we've gone three times now. I've done kind of the California Coast Drive. And we've driven from Seattle down to Disneyland. And that it's just such a gorgeous region and so much fun. I love the redwood forests that are in Northern California. And then Southern California is just my happy place. I love sunsets. And so you can't show me a sunset that's not beautiful in California. And yeah, so I would say California domestically is probably one of my favorite places. I really, you know, I'm, I'm eager to go back to the Arizona area, um, Tempe, kind of uh, Phoenix, you know, greater Phoenix area. There are so many amazing restaurants and kind of fun little shops around Phoenix. So you wouldn't always think of it as um, I mean, of course, they've got the cactus and all this stuff, but they just have a lot of it's a cool vibe there. So that's another one of my favorite areas. I definitely know more about the West Coast um, than the East. And then, of course, I, I do like Disney. I'll admit it. And I love Hawaii. So, yeah. So anything out that way? I remember mm -hmm. in in I think it must have been an Instagram post of yours. And I think it was your daughter standing in front of a giant sequoia. And that just yep. hit me like, I need to see these trees. And I still can kind of picture it in my head. And I was like, I must yes. go to this place. So you did well with that one. <laughs> oh, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> nice. That's the idea. That, the whole region there. I mean, we still want to get down to the Sequoias, um, Sequoia National Park and Yosemite as well. And I mean, California is just awesome. So I really there like are it. so many national parks there that I haven't been to and want to go to. Yeah, definitely. 
How about international? Do you have some favorite spots that are not in the U.S. in case we can ever go there again? Yeah, so I I love Ireland. I was actually supposed to be going back in May and that got canceled. So Ireland is probably one of my happy places. I feel like in a way, it's kind of funny that I ended up in Seattle because before I was in Ireland, I would have told you England was my favorite place. So there's something about the cold rainy, which I hate because all my favorite places in the U.S. are like sunshine and warmth. <laughs> but for some reason, I internationally, I absolutely loved Ireland and England. They're both some of my favorite places. I guess I just feel a kinship there and the architecture and kind of the history seems fun. And I actually was on an African safari in Botswana, the Chobe River. And that's still to this day, it was actually a, a single trip. I It's kind of funny because I left the girls with Paul and I went on a trip with his dad and mother-in-law. So it's, it's funny how it happened. I was helping his dad with some work stuff. And so we did that as a trip. And, um, we ended up in on this great safari while his dad worked. And then so his stepmom and I, I said mother-in-law, but his stepmother and I um, went on this safari together. And till, still to this day, being on this river safari and seeing giraffes, like I still, I can picture it clear as day running up this hill. And they're like, they look so small on this huge, massive thing. And then there's all these elephants everywhere because Chobi's known for their elephants. And we're on the river and here's all these some kind of antlered animal. And then this big crocodile, of course, not an Australian crocodile, but an African crocodile, but his mouth is open, just sunning right next to these antlered animals. And you've got giraffes running in the background. So I think that is my other favorite happy place. And I'm really eager. I want to take my girls on um, back there. And I stayed at a really cool lodge called the Chobe uh, it, I think it might be the Kasani River Lodge or something, but it was on the Chobe River and I loved it. It was kind of one of those communal B&B type places where you had dinner all together and breakfast all together and there was only six rooms, you know. We did an amazing safari with Chrissy's whole family um, back in 2019 and it was, I, I have to agree with you, just seeing the animals was one of the more impressive trips we've been on. Your Ireland love kind of struck a nerve with me because that was one of the first trips we had to cancel due to COVID. And we were yeah. supposed to be there in June of last year. And it was our it would be our first trip to Ireland. Neither my wife oh. or I have ever been there. That's the second trip to Ireland I've had to cancel. Oh no. Um I, I canceled one because of weather and I was just going for a short trip to see the US soccer team play in Dublin and I the flight got delayed and I would have missed the game. And so I ended up canceling the whole trip. And then this one was going to be a, a, about a week and a half for just Chrissy and I, and we had to cancel it. And we recently did a, um, one of those DNA things for her of your ancestry. Yeah. And I, I forget which one we used, but I, the one that I used concentrated on the, the English Isles there because that's she, what, her, what she knows of her family history, that's where it is. And it came back. She's like, 98.6% from Ireland and England. Yeah. Which we knew, but it it broke it down and gave like the counties and the different towns and then this and that and I gave that to her for Christmas a couple of years ago and said whatever this ends up where you're from, we're going to go there and I mean obviously well, it was going to be Ireland and that's where she yeah. wanted to go. But we still haven't made it there. Well, 
It's just delayed. Doesn't have to be canceled. We we canceled a trip to so I had that Ireland one in May that got canceled, and then we were actually taking a trip to Japan for spring break, and I'd gotten great. I got us on business class um, Japan Airlines with my Alaska Air points and things like. I had I'd planned so much. It was like the most I'd planned for a long time because stuff just kind of happens with my job. So this was one that I really went out of my way to plan. And of course it got canceled. And that would have been our first trip for our family to Asia. So we're really bummed to have missed that one. We've flown JAL business class a couple of times using points and it's a lovely flight. Yeah. I love the little bento boxes that you can choose as your dinner option. And it's it's a nice, comfortable way to get to or from the U.S. So travel obviously is different with the family or without the family. Um, favorite spot, or I guess with with all of your experience, give us a, a couple of the best spots for people to travel with their kids inside the U.S. if they're going to be trying to travel as the pandemic lightens up a little bit and we get vaccinated. Um, where should people be looking to go if they don't want to go on those international trips? Well, I think all of us know that national parks are going to be huge. So I think this is the year to definitely invest in a national parks pass, which if people don't know that, especially if you have a fourth grader or a fifth grader, because they extended the fourth graders, if I'm remembering correctly, yeah, the fourth graders from 2020 were actually able to get a free pass. So you can look up on national parks, um, their website. And so if you have a kid in that age range, you can actually get a free pass. So I think that's really cool. But I think this will be the year to plan some road trips and hit some of those national parks. Like you said, Jeff, California, especially Northern California, you've got Redwoods, you've got Pinnacles, you've got Lassen Volcanic, and then you can make your way, of course, over to Yosemite and Sequoia and even down to Joshua Tree. I mean, there's just so many national parks. And so I think the thing for people to think about, though, that I'll give a little um, asterisk on that with national parks is if they're surrounded by small towns, dining can be really difficult. And Derek, you might've seen this. We really struggled with it in Olympic National Park is just a lot of places maybe didn't make it through the pandemic. And so they're they're really struggling finding. And so when you have a bunch of people coming in, especially in peak season, like summer, and they're all visiting the national parks, and then they go back to their hotel rooms in the evening and need to find somewhere to eat. We had a um, 95 minute wait for dinner one time in Port Angeles, just because there weren't a lot of options and there was a lot of tourists. So I would say that's something for national parks, I think are great, but just keep in mind that some of these towns, you might struggle a bit with finding food. So be, be flexible on that. And then also be flexible on going around to some of those smaller towns and look for, um, you know, moving around a bit and looking not just, I think, you know, go to the big cities, but then take your time making your way around. And yeah, so that's what I would say. No man, no matter where you are in the U.S., there's a national park nearby you. So maybe make a plan a trip between two, you know, Montana, you've got Glacier, and then you can enter the west side of Yellowstone. So maybe it's the time to make a trip from Glacier to Yellowstone, because there's a lot of amazing stuff in, in between those two towns. We've done a trip in Montana in that region. It's awesome. And I would add, you're saying a lot of these places may not be surviving the pandemic or the small towns have had it rough that con concentrate so much on tourism. If you're taking one of these trips, do your best to support those businesses, the small businesses, the souvenir shops, the um, restaurants, the, the lodging and small things. If you're going to the restaurants or anywhere that you can tip, do generous tipping. These people are are really hurting. If you can afford it, do what you can to 
to help out these places to make sure that they weather the pandemic and make sure that they're still there because they're an important part of the travel community in the U.S. and especially those national parks. They provide important support to the people who are traveling to visit those places. Yeah, and I echo what Jeff says. When we traveled to Olympic National Park last fall, we found a a really nice uh, local restaurant about halfway between Port Angeles and Crescent Lake. They were doing really good with COVID protocols and social distancing and and the to-go containers, and their food was really good, even though you had to eat it away or outside. So what do we do? We supported them by going for breakfast two days in a row and dinner two days in a row. You know, you find these places, I think this one had been around since the 40s through a couple of generations. When you find a place that's obviously struggling, but they're doing as good a job as they can, and the and the food was good as well. But when they're when they're trying their best, reciprocate and uh, and try and help them as much as you can to get through this terrible time. Yeah, and I think that's what as you know, people that are in the U.S. and we're dealing with this, this is a perfect time for us. You know, depending on whatever your regulations are, like me, even if I have to stay in Washington State, there's no reason we can't go around and visit a few of towns or regions and figure out, you know, find a hotel to stay at and eat eat dinner at a nearby restaurant and things like that, or get takeout if you don't eat indoors, you know, all that. I think it's, now is the time for us to, to really look around and support our local economies. And again, something that we've done here in the DC area, because we, we can afford to float the money for a little bit, but I've bought gift cards at my local restaurants, not to use right away, but to support them during the pandemic. And then once things get back to normal and they're doing a lot more business, then I'll start using those gift cards. But I mean, obviously you want to do that with someplace that you think is going to survive and and continue to go and, and eat there and, and keep them in business. But it's a, a great way to support a little bit more for the places that need it. Let's do, uh, I guess, one final question. Um, we talked about where to go with the kids this summer or this is pandemic gets a little mm-hmm. bit better. What's the the one place and it can be your your favorite that you've been to or someplace you're really looking forward to if uh, there's there's someone watching the kids and you and your husband can get away, where are you getting on that plane to? Me, I'd be going to Ireland. <laughs> if I'm bringing my husband along and want to make him happy, I'll probably be doing an all-inclusive resort either in Mexico, probably Cabo, you know, Cabo or Cabo San Lucas. We haven't been to either of those other ever. And so we're probably we'd be booking an all-inclusive there with a beautiful, again, my sunsets. So so maybe you need two trips, maybe one with your husband <laughs> and then one where you can go over to Ireland. And maybe we'll see you over there, Chrissy and I. Yeah, over. exactly. You can, you can show us around and tell us what we should and shouldn't see. And we can pop into some of the pubs there and have a pint. Yeah, definitely. It's so great. That that country, that's when you, when you talk about learning the people, Ireland's one of those that really stands out to me that they're so excited to share their kind of themselves with you and even their stories. And it's just awesome. They have great, great people there to get to know. Like when you, when you go and eat somewhere, talk to your server, talk to the bar guy, you know, open up a conversation. It's great. One of my favorite travel memories is from our trip to Ireland three years ago, I believe four years ago. And we were out in the country, went to the local pub the first night and we walk in, it's probably 8.30 or so, 9 o'clock. There were about a you know a handful of people in the pub, five or six. They immediately all come over to our table 
and start chatting to us. Oh, you're an American. Thank you for coming. Yada, yada, yada. Within 10 minutes, they are singing karaoke uh, <laughs> and serenading us and begging us to join in. And as you can imagine, 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night, by the time we left three hours later, uh, how much fun we had had. I don't think we were there that long, but hours later, you can imagine how yeah. much fun we were having. Lovely, lovely people. And a love yep. and a lovely country. It's I can't wait to go back. Yeah, definitely. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that is a lovely way to end the the episode and the interview here. Um, we've got some great travel content, and you're putting out um, all sorts of information to help people travel every day. And give us a quick rundown before we go of where people can find you all the different projects you've got going and places to find you online. The easiest place probably is stuffsuitcase.com. That's my blog. And I am stuffed suitcase across all social. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, yeah. And then Vacation Mavens is our podcast. So if you're looking for that, and I actually linked to Vacation Mavens on my uh, website as well at Stuff Suitcase, but you can go to vacationmavens.com, but stuffsuitcase.com is my main main spot. And that's where people can pick up the book as well, either digital or, or a hard copy of that. And we'll be sure to link to all that in our show notes. So uh, let me just say thank you so much for, for joining us. I know we had a, a little scheduling issue and had to reschedule and 100% my fault. So thank no, you. No, it was mine too. <laughs> thank you for being Sorry. flexible and uh, making the time to record with us today. It was a great conversation and I, I can't wait to see you again in the future. Yeah. Hope we all can meet up again soon and travel somewhere awesome. Thanks, Kim. Cheers. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Kim as we did talking to her. Over the course of the interview, we weren't surprised to learn that Kim packs better than us, plans more efficiently, and has provided a wealth of knowledge through her blog and podcast for families looking to travel. If you need help with packing, planning, choosing a destination, or pretty much anything else involved with travel, Stuff Suitcase is the place to find it. All of the important points and links for things we talked about during our conversation will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too. And please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun.
Travel.